Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience, a podcast confronting current events, politics, comedy, and calamity, all from the perspective of a trans titaness. She's a verbal black belt, skilled in the art of roasting, the hellmouth, doomsayer, CEO of the Amazon position. Here's your host, Cameron Ellen Jarrell. Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience. I'm your host, Cam Ryan, Eileen Maharet Jarrell, AKA Tranos. Say that shit with your whole chest or I will fight you shirtless in the middle of the fucking parade. This is Tranos and the Lived Experience, the show that fights men bare knuckle and brawless. Um, today's episode is brought to you as always by the meeting of music and marijuana. Today's inspirational song of choice is done by the band Chevelle, one of my favorites. It's Vitamin R. Um, and today's strain, um, I don't really have a lot to say about it other than it gets you fucked up. Prepare to hold on to your couch. It's California's finest. It's cherry pie bash. It is a hundred percent organic grown with no pesticides. None of that other stuff coming straight out of California. It is a heavy hitter. It's THC count is around 18%. So low on the range of things that we smoked in the past. Like I think the highest like grade that we've smoked so far, the THC count was 27%, but I digress. Today we have a guest. Please introduce yourself. This is Arwen Kathke. It's very nice to have you here. And like uh the story about how we know each other is <laughs> is very wild amazing but before we get into that tell us a little bit more about you tell us a little bit more about what you're into right now so um yeah basically i'm living my life out here in ohio um i do just work for a living uh, i've got a nine to five working for a, a major corporation um on the side i do a podcast called cardboard time um, which is all about board gaming and, um, you know, the people inside the industry. I talk to a bunch of different people, review games. Uh, basically, the premise of the show was uh, I had at one point 330 games in my collection that I hadn't played at all. And I'm down to like 150 at this point. I'm also trans. I'm a big advocate for trans rights. I'm a board member, not only at my company uh, for their pride network, but also for PFLAG. It's a local organization that uh, helps parents, friends, you know, and anybody uh, on the you know, in the LGBTQ community, it's a beautiful organization. I've seen it helps so many, so many people, you know, so I'm out there in the community trying to, you know, get as much support as we possibly can, because we, we need it right now. So indeed, we do. Indeed, we do. Um, you will probably remember a lot more of this than I do. Because uh, <laughs> of head trauma. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, the fans already know that I was a professional wrestler. Why don't you tell them a little bit about how we met? Okay. So I, when I lived in Buffalo, New York, I'm, I'm currently in Akron, Ohio. I have moved all around like North and South. I went to Gadsden, Alabama and all this other stuff. Um, 
you know, Fayetteville, North Carolina, and eventually up to, to Akron. But before I left on that whole journey, I spent most of my life in Buffalo. And I was a big professional wrestling fan coming out of college. Um, so I decided to start going to local shows. And Cameron was wrestling. And you were doing the, the Gabe Saint gimmick at the time. Yes, I was. You were this massive heel that, you know, was probably our highlight of the night to just sit there and relentlessly boo you. Yeah. Um, you know, our favorite uh, was Coconut Jones. Like, we we wanted to get Coconut over so much. Like, we, we loved Coconut. I remember. It was deafening. <laughs> coconut chants were deafening. And the yes. only thing louder than Coconut chants were Gabe St. Boo's. Yes, exactly. Shout out to Coconut. <laughs> So we we wound up going to this after party and you come over to the table and as you're approaching the table, I'm sitting there like looking at everybody and we're like, we're going to get the shit beat out of us right now because we have just been booing the shit out of you for like five, six, you know, of these events. And you come over and you just say, Hey, you know, I want to thank you for going and booing me and getting me over. You know, it's it's really helped me out. And you know, are what flavor chicken wings are those? You know, can can I steal some of yours? I've got some on the way. I'll let you have some of those, but I'm really hungry right now. <laughs> and you just sat down and you know, we're like, yeah, okay. And we just like chatted the night away. It was great. You you told me the story about Club X in Rochester, which was like the saddest strip club that's ever been in existence. Exists. <laughs> Still <laughs> like, terrible. <laughs> like a woman interrupting her set to answer a phone call from her kid. And you were talking about dropping hot nickels, which is a phrase that I use to this day still. Um, and and I was like, at the end of it, I'm like, I, I can't boo you anymore. And it's like, <laughs> I ruined my should gimmick. I slap you? Should I punch you? <laughs> like, I ruined like, my gimmick by being work. myself. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, that's that. Look, you know what? That's a really touching story because like, it's really hard to remember because I've seen so many faces. I know that I've known I've known you for a very long time. Mm -hmm. But like, we were both completely different people. We were. We were both completely different people at the time. I was a person playing a person. <laughs> um, so it was it was really like a weird situation to be in. But I do remember, and it's just nice to hear the story from somebody else's perspective. Because I remember the place that we were in. I remember it taking forever to get food. I remember mm -hmm. it being like pretty much just over one run with wrestlers. And there was a small group of fans there. And you were the only fans that like got it. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like you were the only fans that got it. Like you knew that my job was to be a terrible person. So yeah, there was a little trepidation when I walked over to your table, but you were all very welcoming. And I remember that, um, not to get off subject. Cause we're going to talk about some real shit in a second. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's just, a, that's a little bit like a little touch on the, how, how we know each other and, and how our lives intersect. When we met each other, we were both different people. That's how I'm going to say it. Um, I'm so glad that y you get to be who you are now and I get to be who I am now because even though we have transcended and removed ourselves from the, the, the coals that we wore or the husk that we wore, we still get to be friends and I'm really glad to have you on today. 
Um, and with that being said, on to the somber. (laughs) (laughs) So our paths have been very different and I haven't got to hear a lot about your story. Like I know everyone's heard mine. There are bits and pieces of it, but I just kind of want to like, um, get to know a little bit about like how like your transition went and it's i just like we can just banter back and forth it's not i don't want you to feel like it's like some formal interview and you got to be on point i want you to be allowed to feel how you feel and this is tranos and the lived experience i'm tranos so there are no rules you really get to say whatever you want to say um oh, fantastic <laughs> so first off uh, let's go back to when we met each other uh now how long ago would you say that was how that had to be like a decade ago now it was yeah i want to say that we were going to the shows in 2011 so that would be over a decade ago because i left buffalo in 2012 at the very end so we were going to shows like 2010 to 2012 okay so So that was a little over a decade ago right so here's my question my first question did you know that you were trans at that moment i did i actually did um so i initially went for counseling uh back when i was in buffalo i first went uh basically nobody knew i had like two friends that that basically knew that i was at least seeking counseling yeah and the system at that time was a lot different the standards were a lot different the public perception of us i believe at the time was a lot different as well Very. um you didn't have you know any sort of representation in the media you didn't have you know people that you could look up to and say okay this is going to be fine um so when when i was in counseling it was just a very very strange experience like i knew that something was up i knew that this was probably it um yeah, I was doing a lot of cosplay. I was doing, um, you know, a lot of conventions. I'd go out, you know, dressed up to to clubs at night, um, you know, on occasion with some friends, you know, safety first, um, you know, it, and that was my escape. That was how, you know, I was able to kind of, you know, de-stress and, and express this side of myself. And... So that that was one thing, you know, that's how I dealt with it. And therapy, again, was very weird. It was very, uh, very much you needed to show that you were trans enough. Like if you weren't having suicidal ideations, you weren't trans enough. If you, you know, didn't feel the need to, you know, go get all these surgeries like immediately, um, you weren't trans enough. And it was it basically got to the point where I was pretty much confronted. Okay. You know, either um, you go and you deal with this and you know, you're going to live this life of pain and misery and suffering and yada, 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 or, you know, you can just suppress it and be normal and, you know, do, you know, what you're doing quote unquote normal. Right. Right. You know, and and just suffer for the rest of your life, you know, but that's not how they viewed it. They viewed it as, you know, this is this is something that you're going to be better off if you just present mail and you, you know, you have a good job, you have, 
you know, some friends that support you, you don't want to lose that. So even in that moment, that your therapist was kind of like trying to talk you out of it? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's how the that's how the system worked at the time. Yeah. It, it was very it was very like if you are not like the definitive stereotypical trans person, you don't have this. It's it's not something that's going to improve your life and you're going to live in misery. Right. So contrast uh, at the time of our conversation, our first meeting, I knew as well. <laughs> I, okay. I knew that I was trans as well. Um, I was having the hardest time coming to grips with it because I had seen several therapists over years of time who have told me the same thing. I also had to go to conversion therapy at one point. Oh, God. Which led me to lead stealth. Um, mm -hmm. Also a cosplayer. Um, I was also a drag queen. So that we, we do have parallels in our story. Like there's a lot of parallels about who we were. And it's so strange that in that room full of people, the person that I felt safest talking to was somebody else like me. Yeah. Now, now, now I'm going to be totally honest with you. I had an idea that you weren't what you've seen. I kind of figured that myself. I looked at, you know, your demeanor, how you were dressed. And I said, there's something different about her. Right. Like I, I couldn't. And that was the thing. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I didn't know what it was, but I'm like, you know, especially the the stark contrast. I know that you know you were playing a role at the time in the ring, but there was that definite stark contrast between your persona in the ring and how you presented yourself outside of the ring. And I'm like, there's something something different. Right. I like her. I like her a lot. Right. Like I got that right off the bat from you. But I was like, I was like, you know, you know what it is? It's two cosplayers critiquing each other's builds. Mm -hmm. That's what was happening mm -hmm. because yep. I felt like some people could see through my stealth because it was too polished. It was too polished. I was too masculine. I was too apex. Sometimes I was mm -hmm. too like, even in the pursuit of my character, like when, when I was around people that I felt comfortable with, that's what you got. What you experienced that night is what you got. But like, Otherwise, there's no separating my character from who I was to people that I felt unsafe around. I'm I'm extremely glad that you felt safe around us because I mean I still like you know you obviously see I remember that night yeah. and it, you know it's something that just sticks to this day in my memory like I remember it perfectly and there was something about that meeting that just kind of stuck in my mind and and made me remember a lot of things that happened in that time frame i don't remember shit about them but i definitely remember that very true like it's almost like like and i say this all the time like trans people get to be born multiple times like mm -hmm. everybody gets the chance to do it but nobody gets to do it as many times as trans people um i feel like since coming out and becoming camryne which is my government <laughs> um uh that there's lots of things about gabriel and Jarrell that I don't remember. Mm -hmm. I remember the feeling that I was in at those moments. I remember little glimpses of things, but the things that really mattered to me is when I was able to sense others. And yep. one of the biggest times, one of the, like the first real times in my wrestling career that I sensed another was in that space. But I didn't know if it was you at the table. I didn't know if it was your friends. I knew that one of you was like me. 
And it was mm-hmm. just a very strange feeling. And it felt, made me feel safe enough to come over and talk to you. Because like you said, at that time, the thought pattern about us was still kind of like dark agey. Like people talked about us like we were like um, cryptids. Like, yeah. Like we were yeah. like we were like weird vampires that people heard exist but have never seen one. And it was a lot of deterring of what we were and, and how we were going to be received. And a lot of that was going through my mind at the same time. So when we met each other, we were literally in the same place um, with our, like, um, our identities were in the same place with our emotions. We were in the same place with how people perceived us. And we were in the same place with how we reached out for help and how that help was divvied out because it wasn't like real help like therapy back in 2012 unless you had a very special therapist was always to deter you for being you you it was it was basically you know you you need to not do this right you need to not do this and how how much am i going to have to work to make sure that you don't i want to i want to see because now I'm curious, you've been to a lot of therapists and you went through a lot of therapy at that time. I want to see if you had a similar experience to to what I did in one of the exercises that I had to go through because I thought it was really fucked up. Right. I was given a piece of paper and I was told you need to draw yourself as you're presenting yourself now. And then I need you to draw your ideal self. And I'm not a fucking artist. I'm an engineer. Like I can draw like 3D boxes and shit and I can do things in CAD and I can, you know, make like technical drawings and it's great. But anything like artistic, like expressing myself at the time, I couldn't do. Like I I had no aptitude whatsoever for that. So I was curious if you had to do that. Uh, What I had to do was I had to sit through an exercise where the therapist brought in two dolls to explain my physiology so i wasn't written they didn't even give me creative control Mm -hmm. they brought a wrestling figure and a barbie doll said this is what you are do you realize how hard it's going to be to become this first off assuming that i wanted to become a Barbie in the first place. Which is misogynist as shit. As shit from a woman, mind you. Yeah. Um, I then was told it's already hard enough to transition for white women. Black women are more masculine. So you will never achieve this. And I, I was crushed. And then literally two nights later, I wrestled in front of you that day. The day oh we my met. god and so literally like you see how it's like yeah everything's intersecting how we've been like it's wild <laughs> the whole time that's wild like they i was oh I, I literally like drove myself to buffalo that day and like this will show you how much of a trans girl i am i only listened to the cranberries for the entire two-hour <laughs> ride and yes. i cried my <laughs> fucking eyes out and then when i got to the arena i turned into gabriel saint which requires mirror tinted glasses so no one can see that i'm completely crying all day yep and i turned into gabriel saint and then the only time i took those glasses off was when i sat down 
with y'all. The only other time those glasses came off was during my match. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, that's really shitty. And both of those instances that we just described are, are abusive. Yeah. Like a person who's given governance over guiding you to, through your mental health and, and helping you rebuild mental stability is actively causing you trauma. Like, it still sticks with me to this day that I was told by somebody at that point I had cared about. I shared a lot of my life with that person. I mean, it was it was yeah. ethical. Like, I wasn't like, oh, this person's my best friend. But, like, I, I, I took their word to heart. Like, she told me that I would never be pretty. You're always gonna you're always gonna be a masculine, muscle bound man, and you're never gonna be pretty. So you should just let go of this pipe dream. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. She's at the end of the thing. She said, "I'm not assigning you HRT. You'll have to find someone else to do it. I'm not helping no. you with this unrealistic dream." That's what I had to deal with. That's. Uh... And and that's again how fucked up that system was back in the day. And and I've noticed the contrast when I went for therapy the second time. Um, you know, and, and just saw like, you know, wow, she's asking me a lot more questions and trying to get me to understand what the true problem is and not judging and not trying to throw a solution in my face like my therapist in buffalo did it was much more you know what the solution is you need to figure it out and i did it wasn't you know it and so many people come out and say oh this is an idea that's planted in your head that's bullshit right that is bullshit you are who you are you know who you are you may need some therapy to understand that that person is who you are, you know, and get and get somebody to actually believe you to, you know, start on your journey. But um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I noticed that right away. And that that was a matter of seven years or eight years outside of the system where I was trying to pretend to, you know, just be cis white male, and, you know, buy guns and you know, go drink alcohol and talk watch about football ladies. and yeah, let's talk about the ladies. Ugh, and it's gross. like, <laughs> um, now, now I do the same thing. It's just, you know, a much different right. perspective. Like it's, 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 um, I think, uh, and, I, and this is leading into my next question. So I yeah. knew that I was different at the age of four. I remember it. Like it's a, it's a very, vivid memory of my childhood i remember um walking into my mom i was playing outside in the front yard with the girls mm -hmm. and they wanted to do jump rope and when they started doing it they said only the girls could play so i'm standing there like okay and they were like no you have to go play with the boys and like it was a realization at four oh i'm not like anyone in this circle they said that I'm a boy, but I don't feel that. I walked in. My mom was like washing dishes or something in the kitchen. And I remember saying to her in the most four-year-old way possible, they said I'm a boy and I know I'm not. And from that moment on, I was like suppressed. Was there a moment like that for you when you were young? When did you come to the realization that you 
were different. You maybe didn't have the the language, but when did you know that you weren't like the other kids around you? I knew like kind of when I was eight, I would say it, it really hit me. Um, you know, I, I basically socialized with all the, with all the guys, you know, because that's what you did and you didn't want to get beat up and made fun of. And, you know, that was a lot of my early childhood is, you know, going and trying to evade the threat of, you know, anybody beating me up. And this was before I transitioned. It was like, you know, the tallest kid in my class and, you know, somebody's got to go after me. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you didn't want to do anything outside of that space that you were supposed to occupy. You know, so that included, you know, going and telling your mom, hey, I think these clothes are prettier or I want to do this activity because I think that I would enjoy that more than going outside and playing football and, you know, doing all these sports. Because, you know, when you're a, a really tall kid, everybody's like, well, you got to play sports. You got to play basketball. You got to do this. You got to do that. And it's like none of that appealed to me. I just wanted to sit, you know, on my computer and, you know, look at some cute stuff every once in a while. and. You know, some of that was going into my mom's closet and dressing and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, that was that was kind of where my stereotypical like, oh, yeah, I went into my mom's closet and, you know, dressed up in her clothes. It was something that I did. And she caught me a couple of times and, you know, had that talk of, you know, do you want to be a girl? And God, I wish I had just said yes. You know, maybe I don't. Because at the time it was so much different. Yeah. Um, but it was those were like vivid, like really heavy memories for me, like, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. And then, you know, years later, you know, going through all of those, and I think my mom's kind of gone through all of those memories too, and like Oh shit! Yeah, she was. <laughs> she she was doing this, wasn't she? Um, you know, and and then getting into the cosplay in college and everything, you know, and and I don't think many, you know, cis guys, you know, wish and at that time pray that you know you wake up a girl, Constantly. like I like I did, like can maybe there's something that can turn me into a girl. Can I fall into this lake? Like seeing Ranma uh, one half was like, oh shit, this is awesome. Right, you know, right. I wish this would happen to me, but I'm still cis. It's fine. Um, so it was constantly stuff like that, that, you know, you go back through those memories and yeah, the earliest one that I had was, was probably when I was eight and yeah, it was, it was just a life of, this isn't accepted, so I have to deal with the space because I don't want the shit beat out of me. So this is what I'm going to do. Mm -mm. Oh, all right. So I want to ask you if this happened to you as well. Um, when I came out, uh, I came out to a independent wrestling community, which is a little different than what most people come out to. I'm not saying that I was famous. I'm just saying that I've entertained thousands of people in my time. Mm -hmm. um, and I was kind of connected to them at that point. When I came out as trans, I did not mention my sexuality at all. A lot of people assumed my sexuality immediately. 
Did you find yourself having to explain your 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 sexuality as well as your transness when you came up? Yeah, and and surprisingly not as much as I thought I was going to have to, but it was definitely something that I had to address. And I specifically, you know, I'm I'm dating a, a wonderful girl. We've been together for four years and uh she's been extremely supportive of me and you know helped me at every stage of this journey. And that was one thing that somebody came up to me. I won't mention who, but uh, she goes, well, well, what's what's your girlfriend going to do? I said, well, what do you mean? She's like, well, you know, you're transitioning. I said, yeah, she's staying with me. She goes, so you don't like guys? I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm with her. Very savage. That there's, there's two there's two different things right they, they you know it and yeah it's it's something that people assume because you know okay you're going to this other gender that you know immediately you have to switch your your preference and sexuality which it, you know your preference and sexuality is completely separate right it's a completely different topic right right totally different now here's here's the thing for me it was really hard it was a lot like I like I still to this day have to explain to some of my and I'm not going to call and a shout out to you. I know you're listening. I'm not calling you motherfuckers, my friends. Um, my colleagues uh, made it really rough for me. I'm going to say this person's name. Um, his name. He was a wrestler by the name of Cryptic Keegan. Messaged me uh, 24 hours after I like put my heart on the line and told everyone that I was a trans person and also was mourning the death of my mother. Mm -hmm. And the question was, so you've been eyeing us, me specifically, in the locker room this whole time? So you're oh, like so you're like gay and you've been in the locker room with us this whole time? Uh, first off, uh, you got to see a little bit of the indies in this area. Um, mm -hmm. I was kind of the upper echelon body wise, and I wasn't yes. an Adonis. Uh, there was a lot of dad bodies running around here. The audacity yes, was. to think that I like hid pining for you this entire time when I am trans sapphic. Yeah, I'm trans sapphic. Not a lot, a lot of people know that. Like, I particularly will only date trans people, and generally, I, I prefer trans women. But nobody asked me that question. Everybody assumed that because I identify as queer and I am trans that I am attracted to men. Mm -hmm. Which would be kind of true because I am a little bit like pan at the same time. But I'm still only attracted and interested in relationships with trans men and non-binary people. I will not date cis men, period. They're a danger to me. And it just felt like a lot of the time that I should have been like exhaling because I finally like let out this big part of me. Everybody wanted to investigate this entirely other part of me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This isn't the part that we're talking about, okay? Right, based you know, upon like the small amount of information that they had or were willing to go and research on. Like, I I know we both share this. Like, we we both had to tell people to stop asking us about our genitals. We've, oh, yeah. We've both had to tell people, hey, like, uh, I'm still here. I'm still a person. Uh, mm -hmm. We've both had to tell people about like, hey, I know it's going to take you a while to get my name, which is leading into the next question. Um, 
My name is Kamrayim. That's very hard for a lot of people to um, pronounce. Mm-hmm. So I tell people they can call me Cameron. Cameron is generally what I go by. It's a nickname. Mm-hmm. Um, Arwen is not a very um, wide known, widespread name that you hear about. Mm-hmm. How many other names have you been called? Oh, um, like when a telemarketer calls and, you know, completely butchers my name. Yep. Um, there's been Arvin, there's been, uh, Alvin, there's been, um, uh, Alwyn, uh, there's, there's like a lot of permutations. I'm like, I don't know how, how the fuck you get this wrong. Like I could, I could see Cameron and Cameron. Like I, I could see the pronunciation there, but again, once you correct somebody right. at that point, you know, they should with maybe the exception of a couple of slip ups, not fuck it up again. Right. Um, there has been like, you know, uh, okay, it's Arwen. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Elwin. Yeah. Okay. I I got it. I'm like, that's not even fucking close. There's no L in this. I've been called Calvin. I've been called Carmen. I've been called Carl. What the? How the fuck did we get there? I don't know. How did? Yeah. <laughs> what's the journey there? Uh, like it. I. What people see when I write down my name, they see the really simplified version of it. My birth certificate has lots of dashes and things on it. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's lots of shit everywhere. Like my my look. I'm not gonna say my whole name, but I generally do anyway. But it's Camrayin Eline Maharet Jarrell. A person will look at that name, see it on paper, see everything that it has to entail, and instead of just asking, hey. I don't want to butcher your name. Can you tell me how to pronounce your name? They make up some name and then they hear my voice alongside with it. And that name mm-hmm. is always masculine. Mm-hmm. And, and hey, I, I, I want full disclosure. This is a year and a half of voice lessons. You remember yeah. my voice. It was not this. Mm-hmm. My voice was much different than this. It was definitely a lot different. Um, I actually showed Allie, uh, one of your old matches and we went through and it's like, that's not the same person. She doesn't sound like that. And I said, yeah, that's her. Right. Right. She's like, damn, damn. She's come along pretty well. I had the Barry White voice going back then. Like, I know it's close now still, but like, it was real deep and like mm-hmm. bearish. And like, I put it, I put on a little bit when I was around everybody else. Cause I wanted to seem hyper masculine and now mm-hmm. you can hear my lisp, but back then no one could. Right. I hit it right. because it, having a list means you're gay. <laughs> so yep. so I hit it. Um, uh, now, how, people want to portray that. Like, now, to me, your voice sounds very feminine to me. Well, thank you. I remember your voice before. Mm-hmm. I remember it's... what you sound like. I remember, like, like the timbre in your voice. I remember the no- little noises you used to make when you talked. Mm-hmm. And I, in my mind, was like, that's manufactured. Yeah, yeah, it it definitely there there was a little bit of that. Right, same thing yeah. here. We both another thing where we enter, and like all yeah. of this is going on in a bar in downtown <laughs> Buffalo. That was a, north. Like, yeah, like a like a like you had to walk downstairs to get into this place. Yep, it was. It looked very like old school, like Swiss chalet 
meets like, oh, me and my boy sweat and then come here and drink. Yep. <laughs> like, uh, let me get some of that dipping sauce. Yeah, let me get some of that dipping sauce, and we only order wings in here. That's right. <laughs> like nobody's eating anything else. We're only yep. eating wings. Now in that space with all like, and you know how a after show could be. There's wrestlers walk around with their shirts off. Mm-hmm. There's girls who think that these indie wrestlers are like superstars. So they're doing weird shit. <laughs> um, there's fanatics. There's weird people with cameras. There's a little creepy, like a little creepiness going on in some of those spaces. It's really oh, yeah. weird to have to contend with all of that. And deal with what both of us were dealing with. Yeah. <laughs> and still gravitate towards each other. Right. Right. Exactly. It's just it's, so weird how trans people do that. It, it And it was definitely a space where you kind of felt like if you were feminine, you had to be super feminine. If you were masculine, you had to be super masculine. You know, I'm tough and everything. And you know, I, we're just sitting there, you know, for the show and, you know, enjoying ourselves and hanging out. And, you know, everybody else is like, there's this, like you said, there's this guy over here that, you know, had a bit part with the WWE 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's like all the women are gravitating towards him. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, it was just such a weird space, but I am so glad that I went that night. All the guys were trying to up their bravado because they had to contend with a 10-year vet. Yeah. Uh, so yep. shirts off, dudes arm wrestling in bars, people doing backflips during karaoke. I'm like, what the fuck is going on in here? And the whole time I was like, you know what I would rather be doing? I'd rather be at home mm-hmm. watching Top Model. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd rather be watching anything with James Gunn in it than be here tonight. Yeah. And I looked around yeah. the room and I looked for a safe haven in that space. And the only table that everyone was sitting and observing everything else the same way I was was your table. I literally <laughs> walked through chaos to get to you. I, I remember that chaos. Like like you said, it, it's just this picture that you can kind of envision and you can kind of remember and see. And I can just remember, you know, like I don't even remember the matches. But I sure as hell remember that after party. Yep. And, you know, the I, I remember the Rochester Wrecking Crew was there, too, yep. at the table. They were there. Um, you know, and, and all the other guys at the table were sitting there talking about, you know, oh, where's a good strip club? And that got us into the conversation of um, there was a strip club that my mom went to because this was the 80s. She was a woman in business, and that's what you did. Right. Um, because you wanted to fit in with the men and that, you know, if the men wanted to go to a strip club, you went to the strip club with them, whether you wanted to go or not. And that's how fucked up the eighties were. And, you know, I'm glad that somewhat we've progressed past that. Um, you know, but I, I looked up to my mom as, you know, a real pioneer in industry because of all the shit that she went through. Um, you know, and, and, I, I think that that story of her saying that, and then she goes, oh, it was a terrible experience. It was called Alexander's. It was in North Tonawanda, which was like within walking distance of where we were right, sitting. Right. And the, the one stripper bent over and her hemorrhoids fell out of her, of her G string and that. I remember the story. <laughs> and 
and you were sitting there and you were laughing your ass off and i'm like yes yes okay right and you're like i like a good train wreck too and i'm like we can be friends we're good and that's why i, I started I telling you about your club stories x. yes yes so cl exactly club x is on j street in rochester new york it is a staple of the fallen and downtrodden um i remember telling um all of you that night of and 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 the wrecking crew was actually at that bar with me when this story happened because they took me <laughs> um <laughs> the, like i was the i was uh it, i played your mother in that role where i had mm -hmm. to go to strip clubs to keep up myself i did yep. not want to be in strip clubs but if i had to go to a strip club i wanted it to be terrible <laughs> so we go to this place on j street right we get mm -hmm. we get in there and this lady is uh dancing in a sweater like a, a like a nineteen eighties Coogee sweater with a collar in it. And she was wearing like cargo jeans. They had mad pockets on them, like painters jeans. There was like a, a, a hammer hook on them. And she had high heels on. So open toed high heels, cargo jeans, Coogee sweater with a collar. So she's gyrating and serpentining and like I am taking this in because guys are like drooling and waiting and they're like, take something off. Because you know, men are impatient. Mm -hmm. So they're screaming, take something off. And she goes, I'm not taking off any clothes until I am tipped $50. <laughs> I out loud gasped and went, that's never going to happen. And I felt really bad about it. Because I am very sex positive, I am pro sex yes. worker, but yep. that that was it was it was a train wreck. Like she didn't want to be there, and then right after she said that, a bunch of dudes started booing her, which I started like putting my hands like, "Hey, don't do that," because I felt like I started it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, "Hey, don't do that." And then as I'm trying to save face and like, "Hey, I'm gonna tip her two dollars," I turn and she's on her phone. Now this is like early cell phone. Mm -hmm. so i was like all right so i'm gonna put my two dollars back in my pocket so i go over to the bar to get a drink and i realized because nobody else told me this that this bar is supposed to be a fully new bar so they only serve orange soda in green glasses mm. so there was no ice it didn't come from a tap a lady pulled a bottle of fanta from underneath the <laughs> counter oh and poured me a drink and i was like this is the worst strip club I have ever been dragged into. And then in that moment, a bunch of debauchery happened. And because I want to protect the sanctity of some people's marriages, I'm going to keep my mouth closed. But you guys That's, are filthy. Yes. <laughs> you guys are filthy. Like, I sat in this place for about four hours. And I, um, I tipped the bartender because me and her talked about hair all night. <laughs> like... So it was a weird situation, but like, yeah, those are the kind of stories we're sharing. And I loved, mm -hmm. I loved that story, even though it was probably super terrifying for your mom. I was like, man, like I've been there. Like I could relate to your mom's like experience because I was on the road with dudes constantly and I constantly had to be like dragged into strip clubs or a lot of promoters assumed things about me because of my character. So there would be lots of times where I would go back to my hotel room and a prostitute would be there. Oh, lots of prostitutes got a free night of pay that night from being around me. And shout out to all the um the sex workers of the past 
who knew Gabriel Saint and kept his secret. Because, yo, I never slept with any of them. We literally watched television and laughed and, like, had girl sleepovers every time. And then when they would go to leave, I would say the same thing every time. Hey, they're going to pay you, right? She said, yep. I said, so if you want to get paid, we fucked. Mm-hmm. Hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, All right, you have a good night. Next time I'm in town, if they ask me, do I want to prostitute, I will ask for you by name. You get the night off again. <laughs> like so like exactly it was that kind of like camaraderie like hearing your mom's story and i was like wow like i i totally relate to that but i can't say i totally get that so i just started laughing <laughs> i and i i can't imagine that like you know and and that was that was something that i saw when i was in waterloo iowa because i went to the pro wrestling hall of fame out there uh, i went to the show i did a little filming work um and they had a lot of, you know, old wrestlers that were there getting their Hall of Fame awards. They did a show. And the thing to do was to go to the strip club that was in Waterloo, Iowa. And my buddy and I, like, my buddy just doesn't like strip clubs. I don't like strip clubs, you know. And he was like, yeah. Yeah. Let's play a round of pool and let's get the fuck out of here and let those other guys drink. We're going to go back and watch this Christopher Walken movie that I think is on you know, TV that night. So we just went back to the hotel and, and hung out and like we got calls like, why are you not here? You know, are you gay? You know, this and that. And the other thing is like, no, legitimately, I just do not like strip clubs. Also, I'm gay, but not in the way that you think right. that I am. So. Why aren't you here objectifying women with us? Exactly. <laughs> like, like- um, Why aren't you here at the deli counter that you can look at the meat and but you can't touch? Here's my thing about strip clubs. I didn't like strip clubs because I was jealous. Yeah. I was jealous yeah. of the bodies that I had to see that I could not have. Yep. So a lot yep. of the times I would be in a strip club and dudes would be like, isn't she sexy? And I'd be like, she's gorgeous. But they think that I would be agreeing with them. But it was like I wanted more than anything to be like her, to feel yeah. as comfortable with my body that I would be able to flaunt it nakedly clad through a bar full of people I knew I wasn't interested in. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just jealous of that whole situation. Now, so, since we've, we've both had that experience as well, um, before we go any further, I got to stop for the cause because this has been a really good episode so far. And before I forget, um, shout out to California's finest, this Cherry Bash this shot is uh, for uh, sisters who it lives entwined each other without even knowing. Here's to the worm. Now, if you hear coughing, that means I'm a pro. You've got to cough to get off. <clears throat> and if you hear the clicking in my lighter and the bubbler, be an adult about it. Don't get us. Don't get us canceled for smoking weed. It's legal where we are. Um, now back to what I was saying, man, that was a good hit. I'm going to be really high in like five minutes. I'm glad. <laughs> Cause that's how I cope. I don't drink what you also kind of notice. I don't drink around wrestlers because when I mm-hmm. get drunk, I tell the truth. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't ever be drunk around anyone. Now, I don't know if you caught me that night, but several people bought me shots and I literally would wait till they looked away and I would pour them on the floor. I would yep. knock them over or I would like, yep. I would sip them, and then when they stopped looking, I would pour them out. Because I knew if I got drunk, then I was going to be like, I'm trans, and I'm I'm so sad about my body. So I just wouldn't drink around everyone. Um, I think yeah. I think you even at one point offered me a drink, and I was like, 
uh, and I remember somebody else being like, I'll get you a soda. And I was like, yeah, I'll take a soda. Yep. Yep. So it was, the it was like, if you don't want it, that's fine. Right. It's not a problem. And see, that's the thing. You can do that. It's, it's not something that you have to go and you have to do this thing, you know, it, and somebody else can do it and it's fine. Right. The world doesn't fucking end. You know, I drink, um, you know, I drink a lot less than I used to, Yeah, yeah. you know, but I don't partake in, in the marijuana and the zesty green goddess as you do, but that's fine. Right. That's a thing that you do and that's okay. And what people don't realize is that the world keeps fucking turning, you know, even though we have differences, it's, it's a fucking novel concept. Oh it's my, amazing. Oh, so, it's so novel. It's so novel. Um, now, with that being said, we've got a, we've got all of that out of the way. Um, tell me about one of the worst times you ever experienced during your transition. So, there's been. I'll I'll go and try to be as general as possible because I don't necessarily want to implicate the people that were directly responsible for this. But um, I took a trip. Uh, these were people that I had known from the past that I had to interact with. Um, it was going down to a part of the South that I had been many times. It was a place that I had been, uh, you know, very frequently uh, to, you know, uh, fix problems. Yeah. Um, and these were people that I knew. Um, some of them you know, and this was basically these people had not seen me since I transitioned. These people had not, you know, seen what the end product, you know, with my fucking air quotes, um, you know, they, they hadn't seen me at that time. And I went in, uh, there were some people that were there that were extremely supportive, extremely happy to see me. And, you know, wanted to catch up with me and, Hey, you know, let's, let's go get something to eat after, you know, we get done here. Um, I want to catch up with you. I want to hear all about, you know, what's been going on with you. And then I got, you know, this area that I was sitting down, I was, I was working and I heard, who does he think that he is? This isn't San Francisco. Jesus. This is, name of the place redacted. Um, and these were people that knew me that knew that I had transitioned. I mean, it's everybody knew that I had transitioned. It wasn't, it wasn't like a big secret. Right. It was announced, uh, you know, this is happening. This is her new name. You know, this is what she is going by. Um, you know, and that went out, that was communicated and it was communicated to people that, you know, we wanted to make sure that they got the message. Right. And so I didn't want to confront anybody about it. I didn't want to talk to anybody about it because I felt in that moment that I was in danger. Yeah. And growing up in Buffalo, New York, you know, going down to Fayetteville, North Carolina, Gadsden, Alabama, um, presenting as a cis white man it was like i'm not in danger as long as i keep my story up i am not in danger 
I will never be in danger. I'm six foot five. You know, I, I got this, you know, and I never felt like I did in that moment. Um, I felt vulnerable. I felt like I, I went back to the hotel and I cried yeah. because, you know, it was the first time that I was like, oh, my God, you know, this is this is bad. Um, and then later that night, I go to the store uh, shopping for barbecue sauce, of all things. It's an inside joke. It's a long story. Um, but I went in into the grocery store and I go in. I get to the aisle where I'm going to get the barbecue sauce. And this woman looks at me and then looks at her kid and says, this is what happens when Joe Biden gets in office. This is why we need Donald Trump. And I'm like, bitch, I just want to buy fucking barbecue sauce right. here. Okay. Right. You know, something that I, before this, I had never had problems with. I just go in and that's all that I want to do is go into a store, buy my barbecue sauce, pay for it, and leave. Right. That's it. And these motherfuckers are making it difficult for me because they, you know, they want their giggles. They want their fun. They want their laughs. And they're going to get it at my fucking expense. And they got to make a fucking political statement about somebody that they've never sat down with. They've never had any sort of conversations with. They don't, you know it's probably their first time seeing a trans person in the wild um, when they've probably seen many more and just didn't know it. So yeah, I I felt extremely vulnerable. I I felt, you know, like I wanted to go home, um, but I didn't because I had a a job to do and, you know, I just did it and got out of there and basically told my boss, I'm not going back there anytime soon. So I mean, like, it's, it's, once again, like, a part of, like, your existence kind of, like, brushing into mine. I'm from Asheville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I know, like, I know what it's like being trans down south. I know what it's like being queer down south, which is why I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, living in Rochester, New York currently. But, like, it gives you this realization that your authenticity, like, kind of put a, a target on you. Yeah. And... I mean, I've had similar experiences. I think it's really strange, like how the shared experience between trans people um, are so like close. They're not like you, like, like definitely, we're definitely not living the same life, but there's so many instances and things that have happened to you that I could completely relate to. Um, I also um, came back to wrestling two, three years ago now, and everyone knew that I was identifying as a woman for the first time in public that my name had changed that my wrestling character's name had changed my body had changed my moveset had changed my abilities changed i hid in the back like the entire night because i knew it like i was like it's just, this day is going too smoothly like give or take being misgendered a couple hundred times by these so-called friends surrounding me um I generally felt safe around fans, but like I hadn't experienced it yet. But I generally felt safe around fans until that moment. And I come out through the curtain. I'm wrestling a match. I'm wrestling a guy named Icon Ace. Shout out to Icon Ace for um, opening the door for transphobic people to treat me like shit while I'm doing my job. Um, I was wrestling Icon Ace, and I wanted to present well. So I had like 
hair glued on. I went and got makeup done. I went and did a bunch of shit that I didn't need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I got all of this stuff put on. I I did I did my thing. I went out there. My music's playing. Everybody's getting a general feel for who I am. Kind of remembering like what I bring to the table. And we go to lock up. Um, we do a little bit of chain. Um, I we go to push do the whole push off thing, and he starts calling me like names. Like he starts calling me like transphobic names out loud. Like he called me a tranny in front of the entire crowd, which kind of started a small group of them saying it. Of course. Um, now I paid like a hundred and fifty dollars for this hair that is now glued to my scalp. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked him, please do not touch it. Um, like we can work around. It can take something, but just don't pull it. Yep. And he made sure to pull it completely off of me. Uh, he called me a bitch. He called me a tranny again. Then he threw the wig at me and something came over me in that moment because I completely believe that I'm able to still harness who I was. Um, I stopped the match. I cut a promo in the middle of the ring. I said something to the effect of, um, I am a trans woman, but when I'm standing in between these ropes, I'm a hall of famer. I'm a champion and I'm a threat. And then I slapped this man harder than I've ever slapped anyone. And I thought that would be the end of it. But after the match is over, a couple of wrestlers told me how proud of me they were. Um, shout out to the King of the North. You know who you are. Um, Carter Mason is and always has been very supportive of me. And he lives a world away from me. He lives in Canada. A lot of the other guys were telling me how proud they were of me stepping up in that moment. And all I remember is like how afraid that that was going to be the norm for me all the time. That I was going to have to do that every show, which I've literally had to do some to some effect. I've had to like assert myself while defending my gender, while entertaining as a professional wrestler. So I do all of that. I get in the back. I change my clothes. I'm dressed very pedestrian. I am trying to dress as feminine as possible. So I'm wearing things that you've never seen me in, bright colors. I don't do that. We know as a character, I don't do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, uh, Definitely not. I wore black leather with like a, a a single color accent for years. Like I was wearing like a a. I think it was a cream hoodie with cream sneakers with orange accents with with an orange bow in my hair. Like it was weird. <laughs> so I come out to sign autographs and a guy in the back, one of the fans who heard Icon Ace then starts telling, calling me tranny, this tranny, that tranny. And I felt so unprotected for the first time around wrestling fans. Like I had been attacked yeah. for being black. I had been attacked, um, for being healed i had never been attacked for the essence of who i actually am like it was just and, weird and i i think you know you can accept it as a, as a heel it's not right it's not you know it's not a fan's place to attack another human being period these people are there for your you know entertainment and that's where the line stops yeah but you know, it's one thing that you can kind of say, well, you know what? I antagonize the crowd. I I can maybe put a little bit of understanding into why that person would be pissed off at me. But to have them go in and look at you for who you are, like you said, 
and have to feel like they have carte blanche is completely fucking on it. Right. There was no comment made to me from that man about me being a bad wrestler or me being a cheater. Like none of the regular heel shit was happening. Or yeah. oh, you like you got beat up by that guy tonight, or all oh, that move that you took was really like was really like devastating. Are you okay? It was none of that stuff. It was yep. you're a fag, you're a tranny, you're an abomination. Like you're not a real woman. It was just all like very like trans specific, transphobic, personal attacks. And in that moment, I realized that nobody around me was protecting me. Yeah. Like, yeah, and and no backup from management either to come out and say, "Look, you're going to get ejected if you do shit like this." Ever, there, and that's never happened. And there have been several instances where really transphobic shit has happened, and like nobody's really stepped in to stop it from happening. And, and that's the sad part about like this kind of saga that we're in is that like as we're both figuring out who we are, we're also figuring out that there are things that we have to completely let go of. Have you found that there's a thing that you have to like, let go of? I, I actually had to let go of a lot of misogyny that I had, which was interesting. I felt that I had to present a certain way. So, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to wear dresses and skirts and heels all the time. And then seeing women out in public, which, you know, my girlfriend said, just look at women out in public. Just look at women, you know, understand what they wear, look at them, look at their daily wear. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is completely different than I thought. And I'm like, why the fuck did I think this? And it's like, I've got my jeans that I wear almost every day, you know, and, and I have that range of wardrobe. And I know that there was a lot of that just internal misogyny that I had to let go of and say, you know, this, this was completely wrong. You had it, you know, completely backwards. Um, so that's been, that's actually been a big part of my transition. I think it's, it's been a, a very good one. I think I had to get, I had to let go of the shield I used to keep people at bay all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. It was, I gave off an immense hyper masculine aura. Like, and I did it on purpose. And now sometimes like in the mode of like being who I currently am, I find that when I get put in danger, I will do it every time. Like I will turn into Gabriel Saint for mere seconds, but like I still do it where I like I become super hyper masculine, very stoic. And it's because I always feel in danger now. Before I did it to keep people away. Now I do it to keep me safe. Yeah. So I had to learn to kind of like let that go. Like and I'm still working on it. It's still a work in progress because like yeah I've only been transitioning for it'll be seven years on my birthday yeah it'll be yeah it'll be seven years on my birthday now i don't know which one i can't remember which one of us transitioned first was it oh me? that was it was you it was definitely you yeah i've i've only been uh medically on hrt i've been two and a you know not even a half at this point yet um but it was definitely you because I saw you do it and I'm like, damn, that's amazing. Like she was able to do what I couldn't. It's, it's, and... it's terrifying. Oh, it is. It is. And still to this day, I mean, I, I look at the time that you did it 
and you know the progress that we've made you know which is is being rolled back a little bit now but um you know the progress that we've made in that time and you know moving that overton window out and moving what's acceptable and giving people good experiences with trans people and saying yeah they're fine it's a member of my community they just want to live their lives it's it's not a big deal to me uh for the most part until you get people who you know just make it a make it a problem um you know but it, it's it's one of those things that i gave you a lot of credit at the time for doing what you did and and transitioning when you did because it, there wasn't that acceptance and you know i was able to look at you and say yeah you did it and you know again there's there's hurdles and there's challenges and there's obstacles and they're tough you know there's experiences that you wouldn't wish on you know your your most mortal enemy right. but you have to go through them and it's anything that you go through with this is better than going back to living the lie i i, I remember looking through my facebook and like getting a message and i was like who is this woman <laughs> like <laughs> who is this woman and then i looked at the message and i was like oh my god like i remember feeling so relieved for you because yeah. i know what it's like to like have to hide and i didn't know if like your circumstances were the same as mine if they were as violent as mine because we do come from two very different cultures i yeah. mean even like even down to like the, the the minimal things like i'm caribbean american african american and the culture of giving up masculinity is unheard of in my community mm-hmm. like it's unheard of like someone forfeiting masculinity has just never been done before uh, they well they act like it's never been done before it's definitely been done i'm not the first person i'm not the pioneer of caribbean trans women but like um just living in that like i knew that all the things that i went through i was so relieved when i was finally able to tell people who i am that when i saw that you had did the same thing like i i just remember being like just overwhelmed with relief i did cry a little bit because you're not the first person i know from this indie wrestling circle and that means performers fans referees production you're not the only person that came out that i know and it was like we were all in that space and we didn't know we were all there together it's it's a wild wild thing and you know when when you get to see somebody that finally can live authentically that that can finally be themselves and finally get to know themselves and express themselves uh which is a journey all in and of itself you know you come out and then you have these learnings of this is the way that the world really is um you know these are things that you had that you don't have anymore um you know which which kind of gets me to the the whole concept of privilege and you know as a cis white man i didn't believe in that you know it was like this this thing why are they berating me for you know something that that i had because like you said we came from different circles we came from you know i was very suburbia you know 
middle class, um, you know, white, um, you know, neighborhood, you know, you had like two black kids in, in your elementary school and, you know, then you get to high school and you see, oh yeah, there's, there's, there's more of them. And, okay. You know, I guess this is fine. Um, but you, you get to see the world through a different lens than most people do in their life. They only ever get to see it through the circumstances that they're born in. They always get to see it through, you know, in, in my case, this cis white male lens. And, you know, when people talk about, you know, you, you need to check your privilege, it's always viewed as this negative thing um, that you, you know, you have something that somebody else doesn't and you should be ashamed of that. And it's like, that's not what they're saying. Right. They're saying you need to understand your viewpoint and how it's being shaped by the circumstances that you have, you know, that, that have led up to you forming this viewpoint. Right. And then like weighing it against experiences that you've never lived. Exactly. And then it's not about shame. It's just about being aware that like this perspective that you were born with is not everyone else's because yeah like i was my my background i was um the child of two drug addicts i was the child of an abused child um i um i grew up in a community that was very um anti-lgbtq like it's to this day the parts of the community are very dangerous um for trans and lgbtq black people um you've heard me say it on other episodes that like i often wonder when people say black lives matter in my community does that include me that i have to wonder about that in certain circles of my own community just that experience alone um shows that there's a difference between us but at the same time we both lived this experience that's so on par and so in line Yes. With, like, like we came from two different places in the world and we experienced the same like list of feelings and 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 and, ex- and lived experiences from two different perspectives and now we're able to sit and kind of talk about it and in doing so somebody else is going to listen to this and then their perspective is going to be changed about what we are as a collective because they don't just look at you as a white woman and me a black woman we're both trans people. Mm-hmm. We're both queer people. Mm-hmm. And that shows that like this thing isn't something that you just choose. Like we, we gravitate, and I said it earlier in the episode, we gravitated towards each other because we both on some subconscious level knew that the other one was safe, but we were unable to, to speak the language that we currently do. And I don't know if we, you know, maybe you knew the language better than I did at the time, you know, to really speak it into, into existence. But, you know, yeah, there was, there was that nebulous, like, we just knew, like, again, it was, there's something about her. I don't know what I, what it is, but I know there's something about her that's a similar and B that I like. Right. It was, it was a. There's clues. We both yeah. kind of like dropped breadcrumbs without knowing they were breadcrumbs. Like yes. I said before, like my my character was too polished. It was too well thought out. Everything mm-hmm. was really calculated. Everything about me was really the way I moved, the way I spoke, the way I dressed, the thoughts that I had out loud. Um, 
the things that I would agree with, even when I wasn't in agreement with them. Everything about me was very contrived. And so a person be able to look at me and see through it would only be able to do that if they lived that kind of guile, if they had the same kind of cloak on. So like it was really it's it's really nice to sit down now and have the conversation about that because like until now I didn't realize like how closely our stories mirrored each other and how like that one moment in a bar in Tanawanda a decade ago like put us on a path that made us sisters. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. It's really beautiful. And for as much as, you know, there's there's a saying that we have um you know, that your mileage may vary um, when we talk about things, when we talk about our experiences, um, you know, and, and we share stories, um, you know, because all all of our experiences are different in some way. Um, I remember giving my parents a book uh, when I first came out and it's like, this is a trans book. This is going to help you understand what I'm going through and help you accept me. And that was the worst fucking thing that I could have done um, that I've apologized to my mom and dad ever since because there were things in there that you know my mom would cry about and she'd be like I have to take down all your old pictures and I'm like yeah they're, they're old memories I mean it's it's fine you can have them up there it's okay she's like well this book says that you can't do that and I'm like okay well this book was wrong um, I have to kind of reevaluate my thought process but for as many different things as we experience as trans people, I do think that there's a lot of commonalities. There's a lot of shared stories. There's a lot of things that's like, oh my God, you went through that too? Yeah. Like, you know, it, it's just wild. Um, you know, and I, I've got that shared amongst a lot of my friends up here that, you know, have come out and it's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the thing. So it's it's a beautiful thing, and I'm glad to see that you know that that really intersected between us. You know, even all those years ago, um, there were so many similarities. Well, I really do want to have you on the show again, and um, also I want everybody to know about your podcast. Um, so, like, won't you like to take a second to tell everybody about your podcast when it's on and what channels they can find it on? Yeah, absolutely. So, a uh, anytime you want to have me on, I am more than willing to come back on again. This has been a blast Thank and you. I've loved catching up with you. Um, so my podcast is again, cardboard time, uh, you know, all about board games. If you love board games, uh, every once in a while, I uh, inject uh, some trans knowledge in there. When it comes up, uh, we have to talk about things that, that are going on in the community, you know, so I do talk about that at, at uh, some point. It's every other Tuesday, usually, unless uh, something comes up in my life that I can't get it out. Um, it's on anchor.fm slash cardboard time, or you can go to the website cardboardtime.com. I'm on Twitter at cardboard underscore time. Instagram uh, is the same thing. And uh, yeah, I mean, most major platforms are going to carry it. Just search for cardboard time and you'll, you'll find me. Well, that's awesome. Before we get out of here, I want to send a shout out to the crew. You already know NQO forever, bitch. New Queer Order. Um, I think, um, I'm just going to say this out loud, because if I say it out loud, then people have to make moves to make it happen. I think that we should kind of invite Arwen to join the network. Wink, wink, blink, blink. Um, 
<laughs> uh, I really appreciate you coming on. And um, if there's anything else you want to say to the fans, like just now's the time because I'm about to roll this bitch up and then we're going to get out of here. <laughs> no, I I just want to thank everybody that, that listens, you know, especially um, – you know, from a from a cis perspective and trying to understand us, you know, maybe a little bit better and understand our experiences. I think that, you know, and this is maybe more directed towards you, but I, I think you do a great job in trying to educate. You don't hold back. You know, this is the reality of the situation. I kind of have to put a positive spin on things, uh, just do the nature of this is who she is. I have to try to be positive, but you present a very real very lived experience in your podcast. And I think that it, it's it's incredible to listen to every week um, and to the listeners who do listen every week and do seek to understand and, and try to, um, you know, expand your horizons, expand your knowledge base and, and try to uh, be allies. You know, thank you for that. Well, this has been Cam Ryan Eileen Maharet Durrell, a.k.a. Tranos. Say it with your whole chest. Or um, I'll uh, I'll take you to Club X. Oh no, you wouldn't do that to them. I'll make you drink warm orange soda and watch women in sweaters, uh, not strip, for hours. This has been Tranos and the lived experience, the show that will still bare knuckle box you brawless. Peace.